0: Hello and welcome to Breakpoints, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists podcast. My name is David Ha, and I'm an infectious diseases and antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist at Stanford Healthcare in Palo Alto, California, and I'm a proud member of SIDP. I will serve as your moderator for today's discussion. We have a special treat for you today as this podcast episode is part of a collaboration between the Society of Infectious Diseases pharmacists and the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to promote US Antibiotic Awareness Week. US Antibiotic Awareness Week is an annual observance highlighting the importance of being antibiotics aware and the steps everyone can take to improve antibiotic use or prescribing. Improving the way healthcare professionals prescribe antibiotics and the way we take antibiotics helps keep us healthy now, helps fight antibiotic resistance, and ensures that these life-saving drugs will be available for future generations. The title of today's podcast is Mind the Gap, Antimicrobial Stewardship at Transitions of Care. We are going to be discussing that ever-important handoff, or lack thereof, between settings of care and why our antimicrobial stewardship program should care about it. I'm joined today by two accomplished colleagues, Dr. April Dyer and Dr. Rachel Kenny. Dr. April Dyer is a board certified pharmacotherapy specialist and liaison clinical pharmacist with the Duke Antimicrobial Stewardship Outreach Network, which we will refer to from now on as DAISON in Durham, North Carolina. She obtained her Doctor of Pharmacy, Masters of Business Administration, and Masters of Science in Clinical Research from Campbell University. Dr. Dyer works with six community hospitals in the Southeastern United States as an antimicrobial stewardship consultant. In her practice, she works to improve quality of patient care and to enhance patient safety and promotes judicious antimicrobial use for patients treated in community hospitals. Dr. Dyer also serves as a preceptor for the PGY2 Infectious Diseases Pharmacy Residency at Duke. Her research interests include antimicrobial stewardship and antimicrobial use metrics. Thanks so much for joining us today, April.
1: Hi, David. Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm excited to be here with you and Rachel today.
0: And our second expert panelist is Dr. Rachel Kenny. Dr. Kenny is a board certified infectious diseases pharmacist and pharmacy specialist in antimicrobial stewardship at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. She is a graduate of the University of Michigan College of Pharmacy and completed her PGY1 pharmacy residency at Detroit Receiving Hospital and PGY2 infectious diseases pharmacy residency at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Kenny is the program director for the infectious diseases pharmacotherapy residency and the lead pharmacist for antimicrobial stewardship at Henry Ford Health System. In her clinical practice, she supports infectious diseases consult services manages antimicrobial stewardship practice and policy, and precepts pharmacy students and residents in clinical practice and research. She has over 30 peer-reviewed publications with primary research interests in antimicrobial stewardship and safety. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rachel.
2: Thank you for the opportunity to be here.
0: Generally speaking, I think we can all agree that our antimicrobial stewardship programs here in the U.S. focus most or all of their efforts on inpatient antimicrobial use. And that makes sense. Hospitals have a concentration of human resources, and historically, the inpatient arena has been the focus of practice and research in antimicrobial stewardship, as well as a focus of our regulatory agencies. That said, antimicrobial prescribing at discharge evades oversight of many of our programs, despite the fact that research suggests that somewhere between 30 and 40% of antibiotic use initiated during an inpatient encounter occurs after hospital discharge. And 50 to 70% of that discharge antibiotic use is inappropriate, largely related to longer than necessary durations of therapy. So let's begin with what is known about antibiotic prescribing at hospital discharge so we can get a scope of the issue at hand. April, you've done some work with the CDC in this area. Could you start us off with what you found through your research?
1: Sure. Our study was part of a larger project funded by the CDC Foundation called Developing Patient Safety Outcome Measures and Measurement Tools for Antimicrobial Stewardship Programs, which set out to identify and then further define and develop metrics useful for evaluating patient safety and outcome measures for antimicrobial stewardship programs. Our overall goal was to describe total antibiotic duration by linking inpatient and outpatient antibiotic use. This was a pilot project that we conducted in three hospitals over a six-month period in 2016. There was one large academic medical center and two 300-plus-bed community teaching hospitals selected for this initial project. We included patients who had received at least one DOT of an antimicrobial agent in the National Healthcare Safety Network Antimicrobial Use, or NHSN AU, module protocol. We obtained electronic prescription data, or e-scripts, for these patients. From this e-script data, we were able to calculate post-discharge duration using day supply if provided, or by using the SIG and quantity fields if needed. This was combined with our existing inpatient antibiotic use data feeds, which were obtained from the Electronic Medication Administration Record. Of the approximately 45,000 inpatient admissions at the three hospitals over a six-month period, about half, or 23,000 admissions, received inpatient antimicrobials. About 7,000 or 16% of all admissions also had electronic discharge prescriptions for antimicrobials. Some of the major takeaways from our study were that fluoroquinolones were the most common class of discharge prescriptions. Discharge antimicrobial durations accounted for 34 to 41% of total antibiotic durations. The median post-discharge duration among e-scripts was eight days. However, the most common post-discharge durations for e-scripts in our study were three, five, seven, and ten days. Since these are typical durations for full treatment courses, it raised the question of whether or not prescribers were restarting the clock at discharge and not accounting for inpatient days of therapy.
2: Thanks, April. That's a great example of a problem that's becoming more and more evident. Um, We frequently don't account for the inpatient duration and start a new football score quantity at the time of discharge. Overall, the literature clearly demonstrates a missed opportunity for stewardship at the hospital discharge transition of care. However, this wasn't always on my radar. I remember being in the audience at ID Week in 2016 when Dr. Sarah Scarpato from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania presented on this topic. I walked out of that session just in complete shock and knew we needed to tackle this issue in my own health system. So her work has since been published in Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology and reported that 70% of discharge antibiotic prescriptions were inappropriate despite the presence of an inpatient stewardship program, a robust inpatient stewardship program. And the major problem identified in their experience was that over half of the patients, 55%, were prescribed an excess duration of antibiotic therapy. Since then, one of the landmark studies on this topic was published last year in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Dr. Valerie Vaughn and her colleagues evaluated community acquired pneumonia prescribing here in Michigan at 43 hospitals as part of the ongoing Hospital Medicine Safety Consortium. Roughly 68% of patients treated for CAP in these Michigan hospitals received an excess antibiotic duration with a median of two days of excess therapy per patient. Importantly, the discharge prescription was responsible for. Uh, 90% or more of the excess durations prescribed, and those excess durations were associated with patient harm, with each day being associated with 5% increased odds of developing an antibiotic adverse effect. Altogether, the available data does make a strong case that this should be a priority for stewardship programs and pharmacy practice models.
0: Thanks to the pioneering work April you and your team have done and the work of others like Sarah Scarpedo and Valerie Vaughn like you described Rachel, we better understand the scope of this issue and that scope is significant. So let's talk about how we make that pivot. Like we had discussed in the beginning, historically antimicrobial stewardship programs had generally focused on inpatient antimicrobial use and where we are today is largely reflective of where we've been in the past. I remember the days when most of our programs had to justify their existence through cost reduction, primarily through inpatient drug expenditure. And thankfully, many institutions have moved away from simply a cost containment model. However, we are still far from taking a more holistic approach to stewardship, specifically incorporating outpatient antimicrobial use. So how would you recommend our antimicrobial stewards listening to this podcast get buy-in from their colleagues and their leadership in incorporating discharge antimicrobial prescribing into their program's focus.
2: I think that the business case for uh, antimicrobial stewardship at the discharge transition of care really starts with patient safety. We know that every single day of antibiotics matter I mentioned earlier that uh, that data from Valerie Vaughn and colleagues that every single excess day of antibiotic therapy comes with a 5% increased risk of antibiotic harm. We also know that longer antibiotic courses are associated with increased C. diff risk. Chalmers and colleagues evaluated risk factors for C. diff among over 1,800 patients with CAP in the United Kingdom and published their work in the Journal of Infection in 2016. That study suggests a 9% increased risk of C. diff for each day of antibiotics received for CAP. So that's an incremental risk of 9% per day of of antibiotics for C. diff. So the big sell to me really is safety.
1: I completely agree, Rachel. Within our network and across the country, stewards have done so much good work on the inpatient side to make sure that patients receive the right antibiotic for the appropriate duration that it's disheartening to think that the impact of our work could be undone at discharge. We noticed in our data that even though inpatient fluoroquinolone use had declined, patients were actually being switched to these agents at discharge. Our finding is consistent with Valerie Vaughn's recent work in pneumonia and suggests that all our inpatient efforts that have been so successful at reducing fluoroquinolones may not carry through post-discharge. We have already educated stakeholders on inpatient stewardship, And we can use these types of examples to explain why stewardship at transitions of care is also crucial. Since unnecessary antibiotics and prolonged antibiotic durations are tied to antibiotic adverse events and C. difficile, it is important to consider that these unnecessary antibiotics can contribute to 30-day readmissions and hospital onset CDI, which can have financial consequences for the facility. Demonstrating potential areas for improvement with data from your local facility and in published literature is a great way to make your business case and gain support from colleagues to help improve your hospital's discharge prescribing process.
0: Yeah, I really like that narrative. Every day of antibiotics matter and every day of unnecessary or inappropriate antibiotics contributes to the risk of some pretty significant negative outcomes for our patients and also for our healthcare institutions. Okay, so let's say our listeners are sold, their teams are convinced that antimicrobial prescribing at discharge is an important issue, and they want to formally address it as part of their stewardship programs. So what do they do now? Any recommendations for where our listeners might start in terms of addressing discharge antimicrobial prescribing?
2: I can share a little bit about the experience at Henry Ford Health System, Back in 2018, our five hospitals implemented a formal oral antibiotic transitions of care program under contract with the CDC. Given limited resources, we decided to go with the scope of community acquired pneumonia, urinary tract infection, skin and skin structure infection, and complicated intra-abdominal infections. Those disease states were selected based upon a high quality body of evidence for short course therapy, generally a three to seven day course of therapy is indicated. Our pharmacist process is comprised of three major steps. First, we identify patients in scope who are eligible for discharge on oral therapy. Second, we collaborate with the primary team to develop the discharge plan. Once a patient is approaching medical stability for discharge, we talk with the prescriber and recommend guideline-driven antimicrobial selection, dose and duration for discharge. Finally, and what makes our program a little bit different than some others, the pharmacist will enter or edit the discharge antibiotic prescription for the prescriber to sign with the right antibiotic at the right dose for the right duration. Additionally, the pharmacist will document that progress note. Implementation of this service um, really did vary across our health system to fit within the existing practice models. Um, For example, at some sites, the rounding unit-based primary team pharmacist provides this service, and I'm a strong advocate for empowering the frontline pharmacist to incorporate stewardship into their practice. However, at some of our smaller community hospitals, that model is modified, and this service is provided directly by the stewardship pharmacist. Overall, we've been really happy with results. After implementation, over 80% of 400 discharge regimens that we evaluated were considered optimal, compared with 36% with the historical standard of care. And that improvement was largely driven by a reduction in patients receiving excess duration of therapy. We also observed evidence of meaningful patient outcome improvement with patients receiving optimal discharge antibiotics being much less likely to experience antibiotic harm.
1: Rachel, that is amazing work and such a valuable improvement in patient care. I have a few additional strategies that may be useful for helping hospitals address discharge prescriptions. First, you can look at IT solutions. Are there default antibiotic durations in your prescribing system that restart the clock? If so, you may want to remove them from the medical record. Upon studying the Duke discharge process, Rebecca Wren and colleagues realized that default antibiotic durations were embedded in the electronic prescription order entry process. They removed the 7- or 10-day default durations for fluoroquinolones from the eScript system at our academic medical center, two community hospitals, and clinics. This led to reductions in mean fluoroquinolone durations and a shift away from 10-day durations of therapy. The great thing about this strategy is that it required minimal resources and could easily be duplicated by stewardship programs in resource-limited settings. We know that pharmacists have many competing priorities and may not always feel that they have time to take on discharge prescriptions as a separate project at Transitions of Care. Fortunately, there are a couple of strategies for tackling this problem that involve limited time and can still make a huge impact. The first is ensuring that antibiotics have an indication and recommended stop date in the medical record. This is something that could be addressed during patient chart reviews as part of the pharmacist's clinical workflow. Additionally, oral transition therapy options could be recommended by the pharmacist to help ensure that patients are put on an appropriate agent and that they do not receive unnecessarily broad spectrum therapy at discharge. The second option is to create and distribute local guidance. The community hospitals that I work with have all developed empiric treatment guidelines for common infections that include oral therapy options and recommended treatment durations. It is important to share these with providers and make sure they are accessible. If you are lucky enough to have a medical resident program, make sure that they have access to this guidance as a resource because not only will they follow this guidance, they will promote it within your facility. If you still need to address discharge prescribing patterns through a case-by-case approach, but do not have the resources to review all patients at discharge, what then? I want to share a life strategy that I use when I'm facing a daunting task and talk about how it can apply to stewardship. It's called the 1% rule, which was coined by cycling instructor, Dave Brailsfield. And it's basically the idea that you can reach big goals over time by improving 1% each day. In stewardship, if we don't have the bandwidth to address every single discharge prescription, we can start the process one patient at a time. The key is to be a bit strategic in our patient selection so that we can maximize the educational benefits of the interventions. For example, we may intervene on patients on different floors or who are cared for by different providers to broaden the reach of our intervention or we may target patients who are at high risk for adverse outcomes, such as those with history of C. difficile infection or patients who are very frail or immunocompromised. The key to this type of intervention strategy is to discuss our intervention and reasoning each time with the provider, along with ideas for addressing this issue in all patients. For example, if we want to include definitive stop dates for all patients, We may make the recommendation to add the antibiotic stop date and oral transition therapy in one patient's medical record and explain how discharge prescriptions impact our hospital's overall stewardship goals. Over time, patient by patient, we begin recruiting providers to help us spread this messaging. If we implement this strategy effectively, providers will see how this streamlines the discharge process and start doing this on all of their patients. They will also know that this is a priority for the stewardship team and may be more likely to reach out and request our help when they are facing challenges with discharge prescriptions. Overall, the key is to start where you are and work with what you have. I have worked with a variety of community hospitals, and most have a different strength. Some excel at IT solution, while others have excellent education departments. If the solutions we have proposed do not work for your hospital, try to think of ways you can tap into your hospital's unique strengths to solve your problem. The best stewardship intervention for your hospital is the one that works best for your facility and may not be exactly what you see in published literature.
0: I am continually in awe of both of your programs, and uh, there were so many great insights and strategies you both mentioned just now, so listeners, feel free to go back and replay that section if you missed anything or just want to marinate on some of those ideas further. There was quite a bit there. I do want to emphasize the last thing, though, that you had mentioned, April it's really important. I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed when embarking into a new area like this, but always remembering to keep your institution at the center. What does your data say? What are your needs, your strengths? What are your gaps? It's very reasonable, perhaps even advisable to start small and grow from there. So can't overstate that point enough. Thanks. We have clearly learned from inpatient antimicrobial stewardship efforts that it literally takes a village and that interdisciplinary and interdepartmental collaboration is key for success. In your experiences, who are the key players to collaborate with when it comes to discharge antimicrobial prescribing?
2: I think the first collaborative relationship that I would highlight is with outpatient pharmacy. Our outpatient pharmacy had an existing uh, meds to beds program but didn't routinely include antibiotics in that process in the past. As we implemented transition of care services in our health system, we partnered with them to align our processes. One of the key strategies to prevent excess durations at discharge was clear communication of the intended duration with the outpatient pharmacist. So we developed a practice where the inpatient pharmacist documents both the antibiotic quantity and the calendar stop date within an electronic field in the discharge prescription. By specifying the calendar stop date, this mitigates excess durations that we had encountered when a patient's discharge to home is delayed. So our outpatient pharmacy knows to review this field, clarify the prescription, and adjust the dispense quantity according to the truly intended duration of therapy.
1: Rachel, I agree that outpatient pharmacies are great partners for improving antibiotic use at transitions of care, and your team has an excellent strategy for tackling this problem with the help of their outpatient pharmacy. If you wish to start a partnership with outpatient pharmacy and there's not time to address all prescriptions, you might consider starting with specific targets, such as antibiotic prescriptions with durations greater than or equal to seven or 10 days, fluoroquinolone prescriptions in patients with no antibiotic allergies, or prescriptions from one location. This strategy may not reach all patients within your facility, but a pilot program could be used to highlight the importance of this service. Skilled nursing facilities can also be great partners because they are expected to have antimicrobial stewardship programs too, and have been tasked by the CDC with implementing at least one policy or practice to improve antibiotic use. Since the core elements document encourages nursing homes to partner with antibiotic stewardship leads in their referral network, creating a process where the nursing facility contacts the stewardship team or inpatient pharmacy to review the appropriateness and duration of antibiotic discharge prescriptions is mutually beneficial. Studies have shown that 40 to 75% of antibiotics prescribed in nursing homes may be inappropriate or unnecessary. Partnering with these facilities is a great way to broaden the reach of your stewardship program and conduct interventions on patients who are at high risk for serious antibiotic-related harms and hospital readmissions.
2: I would add one more group that we haven't yet mentioned and that's case management. I strongly recommend developing good working relationships with your case managers. One of the first steps to a successful oral antibiotic transition of care program is to anticipate who's approaching medical stability for discharge. And this seems really simple in theory, but we discovered in practice it's actually pretty challenging. There are variable practices across uh, my health system on how this information is communicated between the primary team and the case manager. And in some hospitals like my own, there's an electronic medical field that's maintained by the primary team on a daily basis. However, at some of the other hospitals, this process is outside of the electronic medical record and much more manual. So in those hospitals, we worked closely with our case managers to get a daily report of patients on their radar for discharge. And that way, we were always aware of any patients that were anticipated to be discharged in the next day or two.
0: Well, thanks so much to you both. So to our listeners, we heard some great strategies on how to get going in terms of addressing discharge antimicrobial use at your institution and some potential collaborators to work with. That said, as an antimicrobial steward myself, who is always in the weeds with these types of endeavors day to day, I do always appreciate an honest, balanced discussion. So let's talk about challenges and April and Rachel, you both have touched on a few already, but could you expand? What are some challenges and barriers you faced and maybe even continue to face as you implemented and now maintain your programs? And to preempt that, I have to start us off with time. And you talked about this a bit, April, already. We as antimicrobial stewards, as well as our colleagues and potential collaborators that we just discussed are frequently pulled in many different directions. So how can we manage to add yet another thing to our plate?
1: That's a great question, David. Pharmacists' time and competing priorities will always be an issue, as we mentioned in our proposed solutions. Stewardship programs may struggle to find time to intervene on 100% of patients and may have to address discharge antibiotic prescriptions through small incremental improvements. Another frustration that hospitals may face is that stewardship interventions they wish to implement are either not feasible or receive significant pushback at their facility. Try to think of ways you can leverage your hospital's unique strengths to solve your problem and be sure to gain buy-in from key stakeholders early in the planning process. Once you have a plan, remember to be flexible and modify your interventions to get better results if you are not meeting your goals. It is not uncommon to start with one idea of how to address the stewardship challenge and end up tackling the problem in a different way after collaborating with stakeholders in your organization. Keep the end goal in mind and modify your interventions as needed to reach your target. Clinical uncertainty at transitions of care is an important barrier that also should not be overlooked. Sometimes patients are discharged before final culture results are available. Providers are often uncertain that patients will adhere to follow-up plans, or primary care visits for the patient may not be available within the desired time frame. Also keep in mind that there is a level of discomfort providers face when their patient transitions out of the hospital and they are unable to monitor clinical progress, When we add to this the fact that clinicians are pressured to avoid preventable return admissions and emergency department visits, it sets up the perfect storm for providing just-in-case coverage with antibiotics. Two-way communication between hospital clinicians and the stewardship team can provide reassurance that the patient has an appropriate antibiotic regimen at discharge. But as mentioned before, this is time-consuming.
2: Those are great points, April. I would add that discharge delays due to high-cost antibiotics have been a barrier of particular interest for us. In work done by Monica Bianchini, one of our past ID pharmacy residents, we discovered that discharge to a skilled nursing facility on high-cost OPAT antibiotics was particularly difficult when we compared those patients to homebound. I wish I could say we've developed a great strategy to prevent those delays, but we really haven't. And the major thing we can control is earlier discharge and collaboration with case management. These delays due to medication access barriers also highlight an important advocacy issue for SIDP and other ID organizations. Occasionally, the cost of these therapies can be more than the daily reimbursement that the facility uh, receives for caring for the patient. This presents almost an insurmountable discharge barrier. However, this issue is not unique to IV antibiotic therapy, and perhaps there's more we can do in the setting of oral antibiotics. I know I have struggled with azole antifungals and C. diff therapies in particular. However, strategies like price checking for prescription out-of-pocket costs, also known as test prescriptions, are controversial due to the potential for medication errors, if that claim is not reversed. Overall, we do need more strategies to break down financial barriers. And I think our oncology colleagues have really led the way with the use of financial navigation services. And I'd like to see more of that going forward to help with this issue.
0: I really appreciate you both acknowledging these challenges you've had. I'm sure many of our listeners can resonate with some of the struggles you both mentioned. I mean, we're really fighting the same fight at the end of the day. That said, I think you both have also highlighted some really insightful strategies to address these issues. And there's a great deal of potential in this area for success. So thinking forward, what do you think are the most important needs in terms of practice and research when it comes to antimicrobial stewardship at hospital discharge?
1: I think that one of the key steps for quantifying total duration is to identify ideal measures for antimicrobial stewards to use. Sometimes means and medians do not accurately describe the potential opportunities depending on the skew and shape of the distribution of total durations. Another measure proposed by my colleagues is to evaluate the proportion of emissions with durations greater than a pre-specified cutoff, such as a five-day total duration for pneumonia. Another big need is to identify electronic methods to feasibly capture total durations of therapy attributable to hospitalization. Some facilities, such as the Veterans Affairs System, are better integrated to capture information on both inpatient antibiotic administrations and outpatient oral antibiotic prescriptions. However, in non-federal hospitals, data are not typically integrated and patients may fill their outpatient prescriptions at a variety of retail pharmacies within the community. In our study, we were able to capture some e data that were sent to outpatient pharmacies. DaysON collaborated with the CDC and Merck to publish a metrics guide entitled Developing Patient Safety Outcome Measures and Measurement Tools for Antimicrobial Stewardship Programs that details how we completed this data capture for our project, along with specific challenges and known limitations that may be useful to facilities who wish to undertake this process. It is important to note that developing the total duration metric in the medical record takes a significant amount of analyst time, does not assess for antibiotic appropriateness, and can be difficult to calculate from SIG and quantity fields, particularly for IV formulations. Also, it is important to point out e-scripts capture prescriber intent and do not tell us whether or not the patient filled the medication. Also, this method does not capture handwritten prescriptions. So how well prescribers adhere to the e-script process will impact the accuracy of these data within a hospital. We know that electronic data capture for total durations is possible, but it still has limitations and requires significant resources, which limits how accessible it is to stewardship programs.
2: Excellent points. I would just add that this is a relatively new and emerging area, and so we just need more. Um, It's an important target for the expansion of pharmacy practice models and stewardship programs. So getting more institutions on board is, is a big priority for us in the ID pharmacy community and among pharmacy leadership. If you're not sure where to start, I'd encourage listeners to Google Henry Ford Health System antibiotic transition of care. We have tools, including how to conduct a gap analysis, available for free. I also think it's important to mention that antimicrobial stewardship at the hospital discharge transition of care is a big CDC priority. Many of the Breakpoint's listeners are probably familiar with the CDC campaign that partnered with ASHP and SIDP last year, five ways that hospital pharmacists can be antibiotics aware. And that was launched last year during US Antibiotics Awareness Week. And number five from that campaign use the shortest effective antibiotic duration. I'll quote one of the recommendations, alert the provider if the total days of inpatient and post-discharge antibiotic therapy exceeds the recommended duration. I'm excited to share that the CDC is also about to launch a new campaign, not just for pharmacists, but for all providers on how to be antibiotics aware at hospital discharge. listeners can find more details about that new campaign on the CDC website.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much, Rachel and April. We went through quite a bit today, I know. Uh, Discharge antimicrobial prescribing is still largely a new frontier for our stewardship programs, but is clearly an important and meaningful area of focus. It also represents a logical next step in the continued evolution of the practice of antimicrobial stewardship to become more holistic and comprehensive. I want to thank you both on behalf of SIDP for spending time to talk about this important burgeoning area of antimicrobial stewardship. I know I have learned a ton from you both, and honestly, I'm inspired to hone in on this at our institution.
1: It was great talking with both of you today, Rachel and David. Thank you both. Also, thank you to SIDP for this opportunity to speak on the podcast. I also want to thank my senior author, Dr. Rebecca Mooring, and my co-authors, Libby Dodds-Ashley, Deverick Anderson, Rebecca Wren, and Christina Sarubi from Duke, and Laurie Hicks and Arjun Srinivasan from the CDC.
2: April and David, thank you for the great conversation today. I'd like to thank all of my inpatient and outpatient pharmacy colleagues at Henry Ford Health System who've been instrumental with our transition of care programs, especially Susan Davis, Nancy McDonald, Corey Medler, and Nick Mercuro.
0: Great, thanks so much to you both. To our listeners, this has been Breakpoints, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists podcast. I have been your host, David Ha, and our featured speakers have been Dr. April Dyer and Dr. Rachel Kenny. Our podcast production team also includes Jerleen Shin, Zara Kasamali Escobar, Erin McCurry, Susan Davis. Travis Jones, and Kelly Cole. Our theme song was recorded by SIDP member Steve Smoke. You can subscribe to Breakpoints on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and helping SIDP achieve our vision of safe and effective antimicrobials for now and the future. Thank you.